And I don't know what comes to mind when you hear the words of that song, but I know something comes to mind. That's a song about separation. It's a song about being in a place where you're, you're calling out for somebody or something and there's no response. It's a song about loss. And it became a hit and it resonated with us so well because we've all experienced that. We've all experienced some sort of loss in our life. Now, my most recent significant loss was the loss of my hair and my beard <laughs> due to VBS. I told him if we raised some money for Haiti, I would shave my head and my beard and, and we hit our goal. And so that's why I look the way I look today. And I'm proud of it. I've been told by multiple people, I look like Hopper from Stranger Things. I'm like, great, I look like a guy who's been in a Russian prison for a year. That's awesome, appreciate that confidence boost. Um, but in all reality, we've all experienced some kind of loss. We've all experienced separation in some way. And probably when you hear this song, uh, many of you think of a relationship, but maybe something else comes to mind. Maybe um, another loss in your life, a loss of a future you thought you were gonna have or a loss of an ideal or whatever it may have been. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe uh, it was a loved one that you lost. Maybe it was uh, that you were in a relationship and, and they just became cold and, and they became distant. Or maybe they actually betrayed you in some way. You thought there was uh, a mutual understanding. You thought there was loyalty, but then they betrayed you. And they weren't who you thought they were. And you have the thought sometimes, you know, it could have been great. I had this picture, I had this story of how the future could have gone and how it could have been, but, and then the circumstances happened. The pain happened. The betrayal happened. The loss happened. And so there you are, losing hope, feeling frustrated, not knowing what to believe or, or where to go, shaken by this new reality and this loss of, of the future that you thought that you were gonna have. And that's, that's a tragic thing in our lives, in our relationships and, and on this world and, and on this planet and in this day and time. But do you know what's worse than that? What's absolutely maddening is when you find yourself in that place with God. When you could sing that song to God. And I wanna ask you today, have you ever felt this way about God? Have you ever felt this way about God? I know I have. I know I have felt at times in my life like God was distant, like God was cold, like I needed him, like I needed some answers, like I needed some reassurance, like I needed a little pep talk. And seemingly he wasn't there. There was no 
response. It's like he was, he was absent. There was nobody on the other end of the line. And maybe like me, you've been there. Maybe you're going through something right now and you just, you don't understand it. It's confusing. It doesn't line up with what you think to be true about God and your understanding of God. And it just feels like he's not even listening. And maybe he's not even there. You're starting to even lose hope and lose faith. And the reality is, just like the words of that song, you're like pleading, God, say something here. God, intervene here, respond. Because God, I'm getting raked over the coals and it seems like you don't care. Matter of fact, it seems like you're the one raking me over the coals. And, and you're in that scenario and if you're not right now, you have been. And if you've never been and you're not right now, you will be. It's just natural. If you're thinking at all, if you're trying to have a relationship with God at all, there's gonna come that time, there's gonna come that point in your life where you don't understand why. You don't understand why God's doing this. Bigger than that, you don't understand how God could allow this. Because your theology, which is just what you believe about God, it, it doesn't allow for God to be good but then these things happen. That, you're having a hard time reconciling those two things, and, and I do too. And there's a story in scripture that somebody saw fit to write down, thank God, so that we could benefit from it. It's a story of a man who found himself in that very situation. Because listen, this is not new to us. This is not something that we only struggle with. This is a story as old as time. And it's a story that most of you have probably heard. It's about a man named Job. It's about a man named Job. And I think Job could have penned this song. Job could have written the lyrics to this song because of the circumstances in his life, because of where he found himself. Because we're gonna step into, right now, we're gonna step into the middle of Job's story. We're not gonna start at the beginning. I, I, wanna, I want us to step into the middle of his story because I want us to start at the most tense, at, at the most desperate part of Job's story so you can understand where he is and, and how he's feeling. And then we'll jump back and, and we'll look at how Job got there. Job says this, he says, in chapter 23 of the book of Job, if only I knew where to find him, he's talking about God. If only I could go to his dwelling, if I could just go to his house, I would state my case before him and I would fill my mouth with arguments. I've got a case that I can make. I can argue, I can defend myself. But if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I don't find him. If I go to the north, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. 
I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. That's where Job is. Job has suffered a loss. And we're going to hear about a lot of those losses, but the real most significant loss that Job suffered is the loss of the God that he believed in. He lost who he thought God was. And he found himself in a place where he's basically saying, apparently you're not who I thought you were, God. And he's accusing God and he's mad at God. And God doesn't respond. But you have to understand that, that in this context, they were doing the best that they could with what they knew, with the information that they had. And they didn't have a huge understanding. Their theology wasn't incredibly complex, what they believed about God. They were, they were trying to figure it out. And so with their understanding, with, with what they knew, they believed and assumed that God must be unjust. That's the conclusion that Job and some of his friends drew as they talked about this situation and they had a conversation together. Because within the framework of the orthodox theology of the day, which is basically just to say the people who got together and sat down and thought about all this and tried to figure out who God was and, and they did the critical thinking and they, they played out some scenarios in their mind, the best that they had come up with, the best that they had come up with was that God is good and God is just and so he must run the world justly. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. And I think the person who decided to write this story, because listen, this was a story that had been preserved probably a story that had been told to the writer. It had been passed down. He probably heard it from his dad or his grandfather or his grandfather passed it down. It was most likely something that he heard. And when he heard this story, he said, I gotta write that down. That is some wisdom. That is a story that needs to be told. And I think the writer tells us this story to give us a wisdom that goes beyond the theology of their day, that goes beyond the theology of our day. Because you can sit down and you can look at the facts and those things speak to your head. But the author of this, the, the, the person who decided to write this down, it's like he said, are you feeling like Job felt? Are you finding yourself in a similar situation? Do you have questions like, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And your theology and, 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 and the X's and O's haven't helped you to make sense of it? Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story because all that stuff will speak to your head, but a story, it can speak to something else. It can speak to your heart. It dives down into something that we all know and understand. It dives down deep into the human experience. 
And so he's like, listen, if you feel this way, if you've ever felt this way, if you have these questions, I wanna tell you a story. Because listen, if those guys didn't have a full understanding of who God was, and that's what they devoted themselves to, maybe it's possible that we've got a thing or two to learn about him as well. And so he begins the story in Job chapter one, verse one, and he says, in the land of us, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. So Job is a blameless man. He's a righteous man. He's a man who feared God. He didn't do evil. He had seven sons and three daughters and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants or people who were working for him. And then get this, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. He's the greatest man among all the people of the East. And so from the jump, we understand Job is blameless. Job is right with God. Job is so good, he goes on to say later, you should read it. He goes on to say that uh, when Job's children have like a party, when they celebrate something, uh, the next day Job goes ahead and offers sacrifices and prays for all of his children, just in case they sinned in their heart, just in case they had a little too much and they got a little out of control. He goes ahead and hedges his bets. This is a man who loves God. This is a man who loves his children, his family, and he's righteous before God. He's also very wealthy. It was unheard of to have this kind of livestock, this number of servants. This is a wealthy man and this is a good man. And by the way, you can be both, that does exist. He's a wealthy man and he's a good man. And that's where the author takes us. He sets the stage right there. And then there's an abrupt cut an abrupt cut to a new scene. It's not a fade, it's a cut. And all of a sudden, the writer takes us to the heavenly realm and there's a meeting that's taking place in heaven. And in this heavenly meeting, it says, there's God and the angels come before God. And then Satan shows up to present himself to God as well. And the Hebrew word used for Satan in this text is the term the accuser, the accuser. And so they're having this meeting and God starts bragging on Job. Have you considered Job? He's blameless and he's righteous from the very mouth of God. And then the accuser speaks up and the accuser says, he only serves you because you bless him. I mean, he's wealthy, look at his life. He's got notoriety. People want to be him. People want to be like him. He's only serving you. He's only playing the game, following the rules because you keep blessing him. God, if you let him suffer, he'll curse you. And so God says, all right. And God agrees to let the accuser go and cause Job to suffer. Time out. 
This is the part of the story where if you're, if you're paying attention, you should be asking a question, why? Why would God do that? Why would God do that? And essentially the question is one that we've asked and one that they're going to ask. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? God himself has just proclaimed Job good and righteous. And now he's turning loose the accuser to go inflict suffering on Job? Why? And so this is how he sets the story up. And with a setup like this, you would think that with a setup that raises this question in our minds, because when, when they teach you to tell stories, they, they teach you to early on pull out a question, pull out something that, that they felt need or that they're wanting the answer to, so they'll stick around and listen to the rest of the story. So great, okay, why is God allowing this to happen? Apparently, this story is gonna answer that question. Awesome. Spoiler alert, it doesn't. It doesn't answer that question. But it does provide some wisdom and some insight that may help us through our suffering. Those times when it feels like God's not listening Maybe he's not even there. Maybe I'm brainwashed. Maybe what I believe is crazy and this just isn't even real. And so God turns the accuser loose on Job and he goes to work and we don't have time to read all the scripture, but, but you should read the beginning of the book of Job. You should, you should read it because the accuser goes and the first thing he does is he wipes out all of his livestock. And so the way Job finds out about this, he's, he's minding his own business, living his life. And all of a sudden a servant runs to him and says, I was over here, I was tending to these uh, animals and, and, all, and they all died. And every servant out there died, but I escaped. I'm the only one. And before he was finished speaking, another servant showed up, said, yeah, I was over here with the donkeys and the oxen and this happened. They all died, all the servants died. I'm the last one. Oh my goodness. And then another one showed up, same story. And before he was done, another one showed up. And he said, Job, your 10 children were in the house and the house collapsed and all of your children are dead. Now, wealth, possessions, livestock, servants, that's one thing. But my children, that's a whole nother level of suffering. All my children, 10 of them gone, like that reality changed in the blink of an eye. And it says that at this, Job got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. This is an object lesson. And then he fell to the ground in worship. What? And he said, naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked, I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. 
What a response. What a man of faith. This is a man who understands his place, who completely trusts in God. You get this news and you worship and you have it together enough to say, well, God gave me all this, so he gives and he takes away. It wasn't my life when I came into the world. I came in with nothing, I'm going out with nothing. Wow, what a righteous response. And it says that in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And then we cut back to the heavenly realm. And God says, um, Job, he still maintains his integrity even though he's suffering. And then the accuser chimes in and he says, yeah, but that's just because you didn't take his health. He says, skin for skin. He says, if you take his health, he'll curse you. And so for some reason, God says, all right, you can go, you can inflict suffering on him, his health, but you can't take his life. And so it says that Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And then Job took a piece of broken pottery and he scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Talk about a fall. Talk about a decline. Talk about a crash. Talk about a recession. This guy goes from having it all, from being revered to laying in ashes, covered in sores, not able to get relief, scraping them with broken pots. And so his wife comes to him with some great encouragement. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied to her, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God, but not trouble? Again, wow. <laughs> wow, what a response. What understanding Job must have of God. And in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And then the story continues. And Job's laying there in the ashes and uh, over the next 34 chapters, there's a dialogue that takes place. There's, there's arguing that takes place and it starts with Job. And then three of Job's friends show up. And Job begins to state his case for what he thinks is going on and for, for how he feels about the situation and explain why he's suffering and, and how God could allow this to happen. And Job and his friends, like I said before, they had their assumptions based on their theology at that time, based on what they believed about God. And they believed that God was just and they believed that because he was just, he must run the world through that system of justice. And so their assumptions about God's justice were this. If you're good, you get rewarded. If you're bad, 
you get punished. That's how justice works, right? You get what you deserve. So then they have a problem because if that's true, how do we explain Job's suffering? And so Job starts the conversation off and he essentially, uh, he ends up talking four times and every time he basically says the same thing and each time after he talks, one of his friends chimes in and, 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 and gives him uh, some feedback. And every time he talks, he basically says this, I'm innocent, I, I haven't done anything wrong. My suffering, it's not divine justice. So either God doesn't run the world according to justice or God himself isn't just. Well, his friends say, oh no, Joe, listen, man, God is just. God is just. That's what his friends assume. And so they say, if God is just, then you must have sinned, Job. Just admit it. There must be something you're hiding from us, something you're hiding from God. Maybe even you're not willing to admit it to yourself. And so they go back and forth, back and forth. Each one of them trying to convince Job that there's a reason, there's a, there's a, a sin in his life. This is a punishment. And then a fourth friend shows up at the end and he's got a little bit of a different possibility that he comes up with. He says, maybe it's not a punishment for what you did. Maybe it's a warning. It's a warning to avoid a future sin. So it's not a punishment. And all the while for 34 chapters, they have these conversations. Job is on an emotional roller coaster, as I'm sure you could imagine. Because here he is with what he believes about God and, and who God is and who he believes God to be. But now he finds himself in circumstances where it's like, if God is just and he runs the world through justice, but I haven't done anything wrong, then this doesn't make sense. This doesn't line up. So we've got something wrong. And, and Job, man, he goes down a rabbit hole of accusing God and, and saying things to God and, and, and anger and frustration. And it gets rough. And this is where we meet Job, where we met him before in the middle of his story. Those are the circumstances that led him to say, as surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the almighty who has made my life bitter. In other words, God hasn't been just with me. God has denied me justice, which means I know what justice is and he doesn't. He goes on to say, he attacks me. He tears me up in anger. He goes on and he says, God destroys the blameless. And then seconds later, he's terrified because of what he just said. 
He's terrified because he doesn't wanna believe this, but he's, he's finding himself and he's catching himself believing, considering these possibilities. He wants to believe that God is just. And so he's on this roller coaster of emotion. And he's pleading with God. Pleading with God. And we found him saying, Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. God, where are you? Are you not who I thought you were? Because I thought you were just. I thought we had something here. I thought we had an understanding. I was all in. It's as if you can hear Joe singing those words. Say something, God. I'm giving up on you. I'll be the one if you want me to. Anywhere I would have followed you. God, I was all in. I was righteous. I was blameless. I serve you. I love you. Say something. I'm giving up. God, I'm losing hope. God, I'm losing faith. God, I'm desperate right now. Could you please? And then all of a sudden, God shows up. And he shows up in the form of a storm. As if poetically to say, here I am. You thought I wasn't in your struggle. You thought I wasn't in your storm, but in fact, I'm gonna manifest myself to you in a storm. And then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. And he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Who is this that obscures my plans that has taken my plans and twisted them and confused them and, and covered them up and made them unclear because you're out here running your mouth without the knowledge you need to speak intelligently about these things. Who do you think you are, Job? And then God lets him have it. He lays it on thick. He says, Job, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. See, God responds to Job's accusation that he's unjust. And really Job's accusation that God is incompetent to run the universe. That Job knows better how the universe should be ran. And so, like I said, God holds nothing back. God takes his time. And over the next four chapters, <laughs> God begins to show Job who God really is and who Job really is. And you should read this. 38, chapter 38, verse 2. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words 
without knowledge. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off all its dimensions? Surely you know, Job. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it thick in darkness. When I fixed limits for the sea and I set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you can come see, but no farther. Here is where, where your proud ways halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Okay, God, I think we're getting it. I think we're getting it. The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shallow death? Have you comprehended the vast expansions of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. And that's just half of one chapter. He goes on for four chapters. Verse 36 in chapter 38, who endowed the heart with wisdom, Job? Or who gave understanding to the mind? And then in 39, he starts going into detail about these animals and, and, and how they give birth and when that's decided and where they go to get food. And he just lays into him. And then in 40, he says, it says, the Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the almighty correct him? Are you gonna try to correct me? Let him who accuses God answer him. Brace yourself like a man, he says it again. I will question you and you shall answer me. Will you discredit my justice? Will you condemn me? to justify yourself? Because Job, what you're saying is that you understand justice and you're condemning my justice. And you're saying that to justify yourself, that I must be unjust. Are you gonna condemn me? And then he tells him about a couple of beasts. And then in 41, 10, he says, who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. You're like, Austin, we get the point. Yeah, but that's just a little bit. God went on for four chapters over and over and over. And God responded to Job. And God's response was, Job, you have limited perspective. You have limited knowledge. You have limited understanding. God's response was, first of all, Job, you have a limited perspective. Job, you're not in a position to make the claims that you're making, to make the claim that I'm just. You're not in a, a position to make that claim. Job, the world, it's complex. 
It's way more complex than you can comprehend. Job, you live in a beautiful, broken, imperfect, wild, dangerous world. And the world you currently live in, it's not set up to prevent suffering. That world is yet to come. You don't understand the complexity of the world, Job. And then his third response is, I invite you, Job, to trust my wisdom. Because Job, you're asking for explanations to things that you can't possibly comprehend. So Job, trust my wisdom here. All these things I've been telling you about, I've been asking you about, guess what? These are rhetorical questions. I know the answers to these and you don't. There's a lot more going on, Job, than you know about, than you understand. Trust my wisdom. And we learn here that Job's pain was not the pain of a whip. It wasn't a punishment, but it was the pain of a scalpel. And whatever suffering you've gone through, you're going through, it may be that it's not the pain of a whip. It may be that it's the pain of a scalpel. It may be that it's not a punishment. It may be that there was something that needed to be corrected. There was a lesson that needed to be learned. There was some work that needed to be done. There were wrong assumptions that needed to be set straight. And so Job hears God's response. And then it says in chapter 42, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours is thwarted. In other words, you're all powerful. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? I got a confession to make. Surely I spoke of things that I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. Things too elaborate, things too complex for little old finite me to understand. Job responds correctly. He responds in humility now, instead of pride. And he says, God, you're all powerful. God, your ways are too wonderful for me to even understand. So God, I'm just gonna trust you. God, you've convinced me. Honestly, Lord, you could have stopped talking after the first few sentences, but you made your point and you made it well. You're pretty stinking powerful. You're pretty stinking smart. You have a wisdom that I lack. And so I'm gonna place my trust in you. Even though I don't understand. Even though I'm not gonna get the answer to that question. Why did you allow this? This doesn't make sense. Explain it to me, Lord. 
I don't get that explanation. I don't get to understand because your ways are too wonderful for me to understand. And I believe that this was written down for the purpose of letting you know and letting me know that when we don't understand his ways, we must trust his wisdom. Because you're not always gonna understand. It's foolish to think that you could. If you can understand all that God does, then you're God. And you don't need him. And so when we can't understand, we must trust. When we can't understand his ways, we must trust his wisdom. And so the question today is, do you trust your wisdom or his? Because for these guys in this story, their wisdom wasn't enough. Their wisdom didn't satisfy. Their wisdom left them feeling alone and scared and hopeless and afraid, dying, literally. Are you gonna trust yours or are you gonna trust his? Because ultimately the story of Job, it's not about Job's suffering. The story of Job is about God's wisdom. It's about God's power and it's about God's faithfulness to the end. Faithfulness, you say? Doesn't seem like God was very faithful to Job. That's because we focus on the middle of the story. We focus on the struggle. We focus on the suffering. We focus on that passing, fleeting, temporary affliction. But the end of the story, <laughs> that's the most significant part. The end of the story goes like this. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. And he gave him twice as much as he had before. <laughs> He's a God of restoration. And it says that the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. And so ultimately the story of Job, it's an invitation from God to trust him with your story because he's good, because he's powerful, because he's wise, because he's faithful, because he is a redeemer, because he is a restorer. And so you can trust him. I don't know why you're going through suffering. I don't know why you have that pain, but I know this, in the end, God bankrupts heaven to save you. He loves you that much. He's that good and he has that much power. And we have to learn to trust God in the middle of our story. Now, while we're going through it. And trusting God in the middle 
of our story is easy if you trust God with the end of your story. Think about it. If you know how it's gonna end, if you know that he's preparing a place for you, that he's coming for you, that he hears you, he sees you, he cares for you. If you know that and you trust that, you can get through the middle. You can trust him in the middle because these are just passing circumstances. Yeah, they hurt and the pain is real and I wish we didn't have to go through it. And I don't understand why and you don't understand why. So don't pretend like you do. Don't be one of these people that God had to say, hey, stop talking about stuff you don't understand. Just trust me. Because he loves you. He sees you. He hears you. He is coming for you. He will restore your situation. I'm not saying he's gonna do it today. I'm not saying he's gonna do it next week. I'm not saying he's gonna do it in the next three years, 10 years, 50 years. He may not restore it until you get to the new world, till the end of this world. But because we believe that Jesus rose from the grave, that God restored his life and resurrected him, we can have hope and we can believe that in the end of our story, he rescues us. And if you can trust in that, then you can trust him in the middle of your story. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much. God, for preserving this piece of literature, Lord, this story from history. God, so that we could learn these lessons. Hopefully, the easy way instead of the hard way like Job. God, thank you that you have made us promises, Lord. And God, we can trust in those promises, God. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what we're going through today, no matter how bleak it looks, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how destructive, pitiful, dead, terrible, God, we can trust that you're gonna raise it all back to life. God, that you are on your way to rescue us even now you're working that out. And so we trust you with the end and we trust you right now. In Jesus' name.